Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, which is our faithful confession of what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture. And we do that with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians. With me today, your host, Pastor Sean Smith, is layman Peter Slayton, who is the social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. We also have Dr. Kevin Armbrust, who is the director of editorial for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And we have Pastor Peter Ill, who is the pastor of Trinity in Millstadt, Illinois. Great to have the full assortment of the cohort with us. Did you notice how I timed that to end right with the music? Woo! That was very well done. I'm getting better. We're I'm getting might, professional. I might be a decent host someday. <laughs> anyway, it is great to be here and to uh, talk about what we believe, teach, and confess. And that phrase just gets pounded home. Theses after theses, affirmative theses, as we make our way through the epitome of the formula of Concord, which today we are going to continue where we left off last week with Article 3, which is the article on the righteousness of faith before God. And again, this is the epitome of the formula of Concord. We'll make references as needed to the solid declaration, which is a much more lengthy and detailed treatment of it. But uh, we are picking up with paragraph seven, affirmative theses number five. So these are the things that we believe, teach, and confess. But for uh, kind of a, a little mini segment uh, that, that I've introduced a few times here for uh, Pastor Sean's gross oversimplifications, this is basically how we are righteous before God. How does it work? How does that work for a, a gross oversimplification of what we've been talking about? Everybody caught up? Yeah. We're good. Yeah. All right. I, I have a very talkative cohort here today. <laughs> or maybe they just got it all out before we went on air. Maybe I had they have cake, but it freight. hasn't kicked in yet. Yeah, cake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could also put you to sleep. Let's pick up with uh, Affirmative Theses 5, paragraph 7. Again, we are reading from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available from CPH, Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And this is the epitome of the formula of Concord, Article 3. We believe, teach, and confess that according to the usage of Holy Scripture, the word justify means in this article to absolve, that is, to declare free from sins. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Also, Romans 8, 33 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. At times, the words regeneration and renewal of life, and then there's fancy Latin words there, which I won't butcher today, are used <laughs> in place of justify, as in the apology. That is the apology of the Augsburg Confession. This is done with the same meaning, but in other places, the renewal of a person is understood by these terms and is distinguished from justification through faith. 
All right, so that's what the word means. Words mean things, as my wife often reminds me. That's what justify means, and uh, it is God who justifies. So, Pastor L, go ahead and take this away. But it's important here to be a little bit careful about the way that the Concordists put this forward, because they start by saying, in this article... Yeah. Instead of Concordians? I've always called the people who wrote this document the Concordists, okay. which makes us Concordians to be distinct from them. But that's, uh, <laughs> words mean things, once again. But in this case, uh, the authors of this document uh, write it in such a way that they say, when we are talking about, in this article, the word justify and justification, we take it to mean this. Other times and in other places, you will hear the word justify or the word regeneration, uh, the word vivification, which means to come alive, uh, used in different ways. That's great. But here today, we want to talk about justify, meaning grace through faith before Christ, where Christ makes us righteous. And so that's what we want to emphasize today is the authors of this document have a really narrow and well-defined term other places other times it it will mean and does mean different things but today we're kind of setting setting a groundwork of what it means to be justified in this particular document that's really helpful uh as, as we've pointed out several times on this it, it this document is a work of logic right and 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 it works in particulars right we're not talking about all of the connected issues when it comes to righteousness of faith before God. We're talking about particular issues that have arisen, controversies, errors, as you will. And so we've talked about those particulars, uh, especially last week as we began this article. And then here, in terms of this word justify, this is the particular definition that we're, we're addressing. So thank you very helpfully for laying that out. Anything to add from our other Concordians here about what the Concordists say? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I pointed at Dr. Kevin because I had nothing to say, and he said no. Nope. Sounds pretty good. All right. It's, this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, yep. it's like, I, what else? It is. It's clear. There it is. It is. And yet I have this whole cohort here to, to talk on, on radio, but but that's okay. I mean, it's what that, that speaks oh, we'll, volumes we'll get itself. To stuff yeah. that can be talked it about. It speaks volumes in and of itself that it is. It is so straightforward. Um, so let's please uh, push forward. So this is paragraph nine now, uh, uh, affirmative theses number six. We believe, teach, and confess that many weaknesses and defects cling to the true believers and truly regenerate even up to the day that they are buried, citing 1 John 1, 8. Still, they must not, on that account, doubt either their righteousness, which has been credited to them through faith, or the salvation of their souls. They must regard it as certain that for Christ's sake, according to the promise and immovable word of the Holy Gospel, they have a gracious God. All right, Dr. Kevin, I'm not going to let you off the hook this time. Go ahead and break this one down for us. Well, this is the whole point, then. This is, this is why the previous couple paragraphs are so important is because we're always tempted whenever it comes to talking about whether or not a sinner is saved to look at the sinner 
to find some determination of something that God has done in them or some kind of way they've changed their life or something. We say, well, because of this quality in them, I know they're saved. Or because of this quality in me, I know I'm saved. And this is driving us away from that and right back to the promises of God that are kept in the holy life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that when we're talking about the salvation of somebody, the justification of a sinner, we, we always say, you know, it is certain for Christ's sake, according to the promise of the word in the Holy Gospel. You notice none of that mentioned the sinner. It's simply the salvation of a sinner is certain because of God's promises kept in Christ. And we are always tempted, every one of us are always tempted to say, yeah, that's great, but there's got to be something that I do, or there's got to be something you got to do to kind of help that along or supplement that or something. And in this article, we are once again running into problems where theologians have tried to nuance justification and, and say, it can't simply be because of the promises of God kept through the death and resurrection of Christ. There has to be something else going on, something in me, perhaps. So maybe it's it's the person of Christ dwelling in me that makes this occur. Or maybe it's, you know, my participation or or now that God has come to me, I agree or something. And, and see, all the movement is to say, well, it's good what God has done, and I'm not going to discount that, but I've, I've got to add something where I look in me and see something or or God lives in me. And so the arrow is pointing toward me. And what the confessors are saying is, no, we're not going to do that. We are going to believe, teach, and confess that, that if you're going to look in me, you're going to see weaknesses. You're going to see defects. Even though I am truly regenerate because of the work of Christ, you're still going to see that when you look at me. So when you look at certainty of salvation, you look at Christ and you say, there the promises of God are fulfilled. There the holy and perfect life of Christ is counted as righteousness for those who believe. Now I'm going to I'm going to make a comment here not because we're going to get into this now because that's actually coming up later but it's right about at this point that people begin saying wait so you're saying it doesn't matter how a christian lives or what a christian does because as as we get further in here it's because the separation is so clear between justification and our works that our sinful nature as Dr. Kevin said who wants to be involved in some way wants to contribute something well fine then let's so you're saying, I don't have to do anything at all. I can just live however I want. Well, Article 4, which we'll be getting to eventually, is on good works. So logically, they've anticipated that argument, and we'll get to that eventually. But I just wanted to throw that in there because that is going to be coming up. But as Pastor Ill said, this is laid out in a particular way to talk about particular points. And so if somebody's like, well, why didn't they mention that here? Because clearly that's an implication of this. Well, hey, that's the next article. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the logical progression of the formula is really way, well laid out. Like yeah. you, you kind of define this original sin issue, right? And then that, and then that we found ourselves jumping already to free will issues, right? Uh, as we were talking about that in Article One. So then Article Two is on the free will, right? And then we get into uh, Article Three here on the righteousness of faith before God, because that was the next logical progression. And and you're exactly right. That's that that's the next place we're going. Uh, however, this this is somewhat groundbreaking to me. Uh, 
I'm being facetious here. It's tough to you know have facial expressions on radio, but uh, <laughs> but but no. I mean, what 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 you're saying here, right? So the fact that I wear a white collar around my neck, or that I go to church every single Sunday, sometimes even during the week, right? I just went to chapel. I sat next right. to you in chapel exactly. today. Exactly. Exactly. You're telling me that I don't have any assurance of my salvation because of those things that are present, clearly present in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're saying. That's offensive. <laughs> Thank you. That was the goal. So wait, so I don't have to go to chapel anymore? Ooh, See we didn't how that say works. That. Next Look article. That. See? Yeah. Well, not only the next article, this article. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and again, lest we forget, this is the whole outline of the Book of Romans. Is that Paul says, "I know you're going to say that because it's by grace through faith, then I can do whatever I want. I can live a fully sinful life, and it's fine." And he says, that's insane. How could you live a life contrary to the salvation of God that you're clinging to as your eternal hope, right? If God saves you from sin, how in the world would you think that result of salvation is to sin more? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So we have a person who is born in sin and the result of that sin is eternal condemnation from the almighty God. Right. And we've established that a sinner can't do anything to save themselves. So we're now we're lost in utter despair and hopelessness. In the midst of that, God comes and says, here's the deal. I will save you. What you can't do, I will do. I will do it through the death and resurrection of my son. And I will give that to you as a gift. And our response is great. Thanks. I'm going to go send some more. And Paul says, that's ludicrous. You are actually embracing the thing from which you were saved. That's not salvation. That's not faith. And so this is the history of Christian doctrine is we're always kind of going, oh, great, now I can go back and please my sinful nature. Or, oh, great, I can explain it away in a human logical way. And God consistently comes to us in his word and says, let me repeat my promises. Made and kept in Christ. That is where you look for salvation. And that is where you look when you ask the question of how then should I live? Right? It's not a different answer. Look to Christ and him crucified. Like the Dr. Kevin paraphrase version of Romans. This is <laughs> this is really helpful. And, and 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 just to tag on and then I'm gonna throw it to Pastor Earl because I know he wants to jump in here. But uh and 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 I like how you kind of clarified this too, that earlier, you know, you could kind of get the impression that we intentionally are looking for ways to to, to explain this, so maybe just speaking for myself here, I don't know that I ever intentionally engage in this activity. I just kind of find that's where my sinful nature takes me, right? right. And, yeah. and it's and it's just like, well, well, clearly I I have to have some assurance here somewhere, and and because it's objective, sometimes I think my sinful nature feels like Christ is disconnected from me, but then we we, we got to recognize objective we are in Christ, in, right? In, right. Yeah. Objective is an outside of yourself. Is that what you meant by that? Right. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. That's what I meant. Cool. I really like the way this conversation is building because starting, uh, Sean, Pastor Smith, sorry, with your, with, with your statement of offense, wait, why do I go to chapel? If chapel doesn't give me, if, if my going to chapel doesn't give me the assurance of my justification, the way that Dr. Kevin answered it really, really well, shows us exactly how subtle this is, uh, not only in other people, but in ourselves. Because when we look for the assurance of salvation, when we look for justification, we 
our, our curved in on ourselves sinful nature wants to see that in ourselves. And so we want to say, how do I know that I'm justified? And we want to look to our actions, going to church, going to chapel, praying, receiving the Lord's Supper. And we want to say, oh, these are the ways that I know that I am justified. Because it's not enough to take Jesus at his word when Jesus says, you are justified. I am the life of the world and I give you life. We say, I want to see that I'm alive. Jesus saying so isn't enough for my sinful flesh. And so we want to, fruit check is kind of the, uh, the word that I've heard for this or phrase I've heard for this. And the truth is, it's not about if I prove to myself that I'm a Christian or if I prove to anyone else that I'm a Christian or that I'm justified. It's not an issue of if I look like I am made alive again or regenerated. It's an issue of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has grabbed onto me, a poor, miserable sinner that I am, and says, no, you, you are justified. That is how it is because I said so. What you look like to anybody else, what you look like to yourself, it's a hill of beans. It doesn't matter. What does matter is what I have said about you, period. And the question is, what right does he have to make eternal pronouncements? <laughs> See, this is this is the question of the Synoptic Gospels and, and the Gospel of John. So all four Gospels really ask this question. Does Jesus have the right to say these things? The Jews said, no, he doesn't. And if he keeps saying them, we will kill him. And he says, you're exactly right. You will kill me for saying these things, but just wait, right? Hmm. And so at the end of Matthew, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, Paul picks this up in Romans 8, right? He, who is it that, that condemns? Who's the one that judges? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who justifies us. See, the one whom you're going to stand in front of as the eternal judge, and that's not a joke, the eternal judge, he is the one who says to you, you are forgiven. So who gets the right to, to disagree with him? Do you? Like, no, you're wrong. Well, he's like, I don't care what you say. I, I, As the eternal almighty God, I am saying you are saved. Well, let's just trust that. Let's just believe him, right? And that's what they're saying here in this, in this epitome is they're saying, this is what we're teaching, is that when God says something, we're simply going to let God speak as God. And he says that justification is by grace, through faith, because of what Christ has done, and your works don't add up to anything in that equation. You're not helping. It's simply by the promises of God kept in Christ. And we say, okay. And if there's anything more sure than what scripture gives to us and the, the miraculous accounts and so forth, it's that God can actually back up what he says too, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that's the whole purpose of miracles. It, it, it gives credibility. Well, not, not gives credibility, but it, but it affirms the credibility to back up with what he says, right? What does it look like when God's active? Right? What does it look like? And the miracles show us stuff that you would never expect to happen. And God's like, yeah, it's because I'm here. You know, right. I when I show up, this is what it looks like. And everybody's like, yeah, that's really impressive. And he goes, wait a minute, there's more. When I show up, death itself is defeated. So we, so the church prays, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, because we know when He comes a second time, it'll be the consummation of the age when 
we will live in the eternal reality of the presence of God. And what does he say? When you're there, there'll be no more thirsting, no more, you'll be hungry anymore. There'll be no more death. Because this is what it looks like when God is present, right? When God is fully present and his kingdom is the kingdom that we live in. And so this is the whole idea of justification is that God says you are safe. He pronounces you forgiven. He pronounces you justified. So his word is truth. It is certain for Christ's sake. And I, I think in that worthy prayer, come Lord Jesus, right? Uh, we look to not only his second coming, his glorious coming, right? But it also his coming then to us in word and sacrament, which then to, to just give clarity to the conversation we had earlier, right? The, the, the justification for Christ's sake, central to all of it, right? But then that's what drives me to going to chapel, to hear it again, to hear this pronouncement again. And it, and it is a simple and oftentimes on my my part, right, a very weak faith that just comes clinging, crawling to it, right, saying, yes, I, 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 need, I need to hear this assurance again, right? I need to receive it into my mouth, into my ear, right? And and that that is and, and even what drives me to wear the white collar, right, to go to seminary and to suffer all of the things that we suffer to get through seminary and, and to become pastors in the church and things like that, right? Uh, it, it, it's so that we can uh, continually be a part of and hear this word proclaimed from Christ through his servants, right, given to us in the church. And and that's that's the point of going to church then, right? Uh, we, we don't do it for the fruit checking. Uh, we do it because we need it. And, and that pronouncement comes to us there. We go to church or live a Christian life not to prove to ourselves that we're justified, but to hear from Christ himself, Almighty God, that he has justified us. So it's, it's a very subtle move that sinners try to make to say, I go to church to feel better about myself. And we turn going to church or living as a Christian into self-justification instead of receiving our justification from Christ. It becomes really, really important to sinful people that we see ourselves as a Christian, no matter what Jesus says. But when we when we sit back and read the formula of Concord devotionally, we're able to say, it's not about what you say about yourself by looking like a regenerate person or looking like a Christian. It's about what Jesus has said about you. Yes, go to church because there Jesus tells you how much he loved you. He loved you unto death, even death on a cross. And to prove it, he rose from the dead. He is the almighty God. From there, we simply say, okay, so where do I bump into the almighty God who tells me that I have been made holy and righteous? I go to church. I read his word. I, I pray because he asks me to, uh, just like a child asks their father for, for good gifts. He asks us to pray to receive his good gifts because it's not about us. It's about him. In a culture that is all about your own self-identification and embracing who you are and being true to yourself. What you just said, Pastor Ill, is incredibly offensive. Um, I think of some of the comments I'm seeing after the Super Bowl halftime performance last night. Uh, Christians who are attempting to justify some of what went on there 
are saying, well, it's just their cultural identification. Therefore, it's totally okay. So what we're saying here is actually how we identify ourselves isn't the important part. How, how we look at our own actions isn't the important part. It's all about how Christ sees us, how he defines us, and then what he calls us to as a result of that. I was probably just very offensive to some people who liked it last night. <laughs> You're also giving away that we're pre-recording this on Monday instead of being live yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I realized I so said last night. Th thanks Oops. for listening live For all on of Tuesday. the people who watched the Super Bowl Monday. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed the tape delay. Hopefully you didn't get any spoilers. <laughs> I, I, I subtly gave it away earlier when I said I was in chapel, which right. happens at 10 o'clock here at the International Center. Oh. Yeah, I almost did when I said okay. cake, but nobody knows when we eat cake here. I so. think both yep. listeners Pretty understand. much every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we thank them for that. Yes, we do. All right, with that uh, very <laughs> awkwardness, we work right up against a break. So let's go ahead and take a break. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters with your cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians, layman Peter Slayton, Dr. Kevin Armbrust, Pastor Peter Ellen, and myself as your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And we continue to push forward here in Article 3, the righteousness of faith before God. And we are picking up now with, let's see here, paragraph 10. This gets very confusing with the numbers, guys. Paragraph 10, affirmative theses number 7. We believe, teach, and confess that it is necessary to teach with special diligence the particulae exclusive, that means exclusive terms, that's Latin, for the preservation of the pure doctrine about the righteousness of faith before God. We mean the exclusive particles, that is, the following words of the Holy Apostle Paul, by which Christ's merit is entirely separated from our works, and the honor is given to Christ alone. For the Holy Apostle Paul writes of grace, without merit, without law, without works, not of works. All these words together mean that we are justified and saved through faith alone in Christ. Citing Ephesians 2.8, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 11. All right, I think it's time for another round of Dr. Kevin's paraphrase of the Apostle Paul. Okay, here's the thing. In Latin this time. When you read Paul, you're going to find out that, that he's, he makes sure that when he uses words like grace and works and those kinds and phrases, he uses particulars. Okay, so, and, and those particulars, those little words he uses to describe the big words, 
actually serve the role of defining how the word is used and not used so that we are very clear that Paul's theology of justification is excluding our works. That's what this is saying. So when he says that we are saved without works, the exclusive particular is without, right? He doesn't just say works. He says without works to make it clear that we are not talking about our works. And it is by grace, right? Through We have this in the Augsburg 4, right? We are, saved, we are justified by grace through faith for the sake of Christ. So those particulars, those little phrases, those little words actually help us understand the exclusivity of grace, that it's not grace plus works or, or some kind of amalgamation of these ideas, that it's actually very exclusively God's grace in Christ that saves. So what, he, what this article is saying is that our theology is simply reading the scriptures and taking very seriously how Paul talks about justification. That's what it's saying. We say when you look at Paul, he is concerned about this too, and he's very particular on the particles that he uses to to teach the exclusivity of grace. So all of the words are important then. Yep. Right. So we don't want to get just hung up on the word works. It's it's the without the works part, right? right? right. And and then could we even make the case that when it when we're talking about with grace, right? That we not just say grace, mm-hmm. but it's by grace, right? right? And, and that it's very particular what we're talking about when we're talking about grace then, right? And it's by grace through faith in Christ, right? That this like, I don't know, like a Reformation motto or something right, like exactly, that. exactly, exactly. Seems like it rings true in my said head. said that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Can you help me and, and hopefully our listeners in how to articulate that at a kind of a nuts and bolts level, because sometimes I see uh, people, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, from other traditions, uh, especially our our non-reformed brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the Roman Catholic Church, saying, when you Lutherans and you reformed folks start talking about grace through faith, you're you're denying an awful lot of scripture, and from time to time, I have a hard time reacting to that because, because I'm not exactly sure what they mean and their understanding of what I'm, of what I'm saying, what the Lutheran confessions are saying, what scripture is saying, aren't lining up. And, and I find myself talking past them. How do you, instead of talking past somebody, talk with them? Well, this is where Melanchthon's work on the Apology Article 4 really helps us because he's willing to embrace the scripture passages that the opponents use. And he doesn't say they're not scripture or they're just stupid. He actually says, what you're doing here is you're, you're misunderstanding God's law and his gospel. And because of that misunderstanding, you're actually smushing them together and you come up with a, a bad theology. He says, be very careful when you read the scriptures on how Paul says what he says and how John says what he says, right? And how the Old Testament teaches what it teaches is that it, it actually is exclusive that when you look at, at law statements, what humans must do, what you're going to find is that we're always failing to measure up to God's holiness, right? So this is the ideal. You you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? Not most of it, not put him number one on your to-do list in 2020. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And when you get that one finished and got that commandment licked, you have to love your neighbor as yourself, like completely. And so the law is always saying to us, this is what you must do. And when we when we look at what we must do, then measure it to a holy God, we find out we're 
always failing to be holy in that duty. And so all these passages that say, you know, you must do this or, or a person must do this, Melanchthon helps us say, that's right, and we're not denying that. And that's the law. And the result of the law, according to Paul, is that it, it convicts us of our sins and it leads us to death, right? Because it says, I'm a sinner and the wages of sin is death. So I'm dead before holy God. And so he says, that's the law and that's what it's supposed to do. So when you read those passages of you must and, and you are to do this, that's law. But when you read the passage about salvation, they're actually gospel. They're good news because the passage of salvation put all the onus for saving on God on, and his work in Christ as the fulfillment of his promises of love. So that's what I help people work through is I say, you're right. The scriptures talk a lot about what we're supposed to do. They talk a lot about works and commandments and laws. There's a whole slew of them, right? And all of that drives us to, if we're looking at ourselves, the, the confession that I'm a sinner and I need help to be saved. I need to be saved because I can't save myself. But it also points us to the one whose holy life, perfect obedience, right? Jesus kept the whole will of God. He did love the Lord your God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? He did love neighbor as self. He perfectly fulfilled that. And what these particulars that Paul is talking about here, what they do is they say, you are saved by the work of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing of what you do, simply what he does, is what God justifies you according to. So God justifies you according to the holy life of Jesus. And these phrases help us realize that I'm not going to mess up my ability to keep the commandments with Jesus' ability to keep the commandments, right? So I'm going to keep them exclusive. So when the scriptures talk about I must do this, that's not going to talk about how I'm saved. That's actually going to talk about my need to be saved. But when it talks about Jesus fulfilling them and then giving them as a gift, we say, oh, that's, that's really good news. That's amazingly good news that God would give me salvation as a free gift. And that's called gospel. So that's how we help him work through it, right? We say, you're right. Scriptures teach this. Scriptures teach a lot of law. And we say that is law. Then that's going to always inform me as a sinner that I'm not God. I'm simply not. I'm not holy. I'm not living the perfect life. Um, I'm not righteous. But then the, the good news about Jesus Christ is that in his perfect life, in his obedience to the Father, in his death and resurrection— he was perfect and he did achieve righteousness. He is righteous. And what does it say in Romans 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because there's a power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God, who is that? That's Jesus, is revealed, right? And then it says, and so how do you live in this? By faith. So, right, those are all these particulars, right? Those are Paul's particulars. It's, it's the righteousness of God by faith, and so that's why I say, see, it's not by works. That's what he says in Ephesians 2. This is not by works. And so those are the words we run to when we say, those words teach us to, to read the rest of Scripture. So we say, what are the what's the role of the commandments? Is it to, to give me the way to earn God's favor? No, it's not. No, it's not. Because God's favor is given by grace through faith on account of Christ. So what do I do with the commandments? I learn to live a holy and decent life. Well, what happens when I fail? The law is now going to drive me back to repentance where I turn again for salvation in the one place that is promised and given in the death and resurrection of Christ. So that's, I think it's, it's a wonderful way to, to welcome a Christian conversation to point to the amazing good news that is in Jesus Christ for all sinners.
One of the questions I like to ask is, how's that working out for you? Yeah, right? exactly. When, when I get, how's that going? When, when I get these passages set in and so forth, right, I, I just say, well, how's that working out for you? Yep. And, and, and they'll maybe give me some ways, right, of, of the way that they are keeping the law. And then I'll just push a little further. And it's like, well, oh, well, surely you're doing this too, right? Oh, no, no, you're not. Oh, yeah. Wow. Or See, they it's say not working yes. out so well for you. Or they say yes. I mean, a lot yeah. of people today actually don't agree with any kind of judgment or condemnation. So they'll look at you and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. God understands that I'm trying hard. He's not going to hold me to a standard I can't live up to. And you, you really can't get through it. But but the issue is, what are you going to do the day that you die, right? Because the wages of sin actually is death. And and all of us face this. So so how does your theory work on that? You know, And, and we do actually, at some point, have to drive to eternal questions. And, and I know Layman Slayton wants to jump in here, but That's I'm just okay. going to ignore him and, and play the power <laughs> card here for a second. Because I, I want to stick with this for a second, and, and this is kind of another particular then of what we're talking about. Because what we're not saying here is that the law only accuses, right? So we use the, the fancy Latin phrase, lex semper accusa, right? The law always accuses. By the way, that and, is what I was going to say. Okay. Just put that out there. Well, you can so. jump in in a second. But, uh, but, but you know, and, and the law does always accuse, and we agree with it. We, we confess that, right? But it doesn't only accuse, right? And so there, it does show us the right way to live, and we're going to get to that in a second. Again, that's the next article even, right? And uh, the next point. And the next point as well. Yeah. And so that's why I'm ignoring yeah. you. You'll get your turn. Just wait here. Uh, but, but in terms of, you know, what, what is our particular focus here then, right, is, is that how am I righteous? How do I stand before God, the judge, as we were talking about earlier in the show, right? And, and when, when I am confronted with the reality of God's law, right, it is just, it is just there. And, and I have to learn to evaluate myself on the basis of it. And, and it's just going to, to condemn me, right? Show me my sin and drive me to death, as you said. And so that's where the gospel, this justification by grace <laughs> through faith in Christ uh, is, is such very good news in the truest sense of the word. It is gospel, right? Because it is just so rescuing. And then we can get to the good work stuff. Then we can get to, you know, how, how we endeavor to keep the law in that sense, right? But, but at the same time, it's always going to accuse me and it's going to keep driving me back to there. Right. So I want to. What I want to add here is actually another facet to this that I've encountered in talking with other Christians ab- about this. I mean, um, Dr. Kevin, with what you said about you know people just you know not wanting to be condemned or you know you can't judge me, and then what Pastor Smith, when you were saying the law is always accusing us, I've actually encou- had conversations, encountered Christians who actually don't fall into either of those. Um, I remember. It, it, this 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 individual fell into the category of believing that they could live without sinning in in this life and that there there was no sin they didn't have to worry about and i asked the question well what do you do with like the sermon on the mount or or other passages that make it clear how deep your sinful nature goes and their answer was well i don't i don't measure myself against that and in the, and on to put the best construction on what they were saying, they're saying, I, I measure myself against Christ. My faith is in him. But it's interesting where you can say, you can have the right focus in that I'm looking to Christ for that, but at the same time completely miss 
that you still retain your own sinful nature and are struggling against it. Because it was like they went so far on the, I'm trusting in Christ, that, and this is even a weird way to phrase it, that you can go too far in trusting in Christ that they say, I no longer have a sinful nature. It's not anything that I'm I'm dealing with at all. And it's it, it's just a, a another facet of this whole argument where it's like, well, what do you do with that person? Because they look at the law and say, oh, no, no, I don't even look at that. That's that's not what I'm measuring myself against at all. I'm okay. I'm fine. Well, what you find is that you're you're with Paul in Philippians, right? In Philippians, Paul says, according to the law, perfect, right? Mm. No problem. And then what does he say? But that's nothing. My righteousness is nothing. It doesn't make any difference. What matters is Christ. What matters is Jesus' righteousness. What matters is the resurrection of Christ. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It doesn't. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. See, this is this is really when Paul talks about the mystery of faith. When Paul talks about the great mystery of Christ, it's it's that he is it. If you're a Gentile looking how to get into all this, and you're going, well, the Jews have to be circumcised. They have these food laws, and I've got to go to all this. And Paul's like, nope, nope, that's not it. It's Christ. And then when the Jews are saying, oh, so it's this and that, and the other thing, and he goes, no, 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 it's Christ. Say, so, well, and a sinner says, well, I've, I've decided that I can live a righteous, holy life. And Paul says, so? What does that matter, right? That's not how God is judging. God is not judging by your ability or inability to live up to his law. If you are going to judge somebody by the law, it is always going to contempt, right? Lex, Semper, Okuzat, end of the discussion. So you can say to God, I covered all your laws, no problem. And he's still going to say, no, no, you are still condemned according to the law because you are not holy, right? And and this is this is really Paul's argument is that it's not just as Christ is the great makes up for my mistakes guy. No, he is the definition of our relationship to God. He is. And so if you're in him, if you are in Christ, then you are God's. If you are outside of Christ, he doesn't know you. And that is an eternal problem, right? So so listen to the words of Paul. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ, right? And so also Paul says, you were, when you were baptized, you, you put on Christ. See, all this language is, is now our relationship to God is defined by Christ's death and resurrection. Nothing to do with me. I simply receive this as a gift by grace through faith, because of what Christ has done. And so when it comes time for any sinner to stand before a holy God, it is simply Christ that defines that relationship now, right? If you're in Christ, it's good. Which which is a beautiful theology that then plays into our practice of worship and the sacraments. And I mean, just 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 one brief moment, right? So just, just consider the Lord's Supper then, that you're actually receiving Christ into you and you are receiving it, right? It, it's not in your work of making sure you're there and getting up there to the rail and reaching out and grabbing and taking hold of this or anything of that nature, right? You're just receiving it in, and, and now you are a part of the body of Christ, right? Which strengthen, strengthens you body and soul into life everlasting. It, it just, you know, it, it starts to play out in all of our theology, which you've really well laid out. And uh, it, we could just go on on and on <laughs> about this because it, it is so foundational and important, right? Yep. I mean, this this righteousness of faith before God thing is, is a real thing, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, because 
objectively he he's god he he gets that last say on the last day right and, and he has shown and demonstrated his power and authority to do so and so uh we we should cling to his words of promise and and receive him all right we're going to push forward uh because uh th- there's some other things that then come into this then too uh that that we'll get to in the antitheses of well well how does jesus do that does he only do it in his divine nature does he which we kind of covered on the show last week setting up this but we're we're laying out more more of the affirmative theses of what we talk about with justification. All right, so this is now uh, paragraph 11, uh, affirmative theses number eight. We believe, teach, and confess that the contrition that comes before justification and the good works that follow it do not belong to the article justification before God. Yet one is not to imagine a kind of faith that can exist and abide with and alongside of a wicked intention to sin and to act against the conscience. I'm just hearing like Dr. Kevin paraphrase of Paul and Romans, (laughs) like echoing in the back of my mind with these words as I'm reading this, right? Yeah, it's exactly what I was hearing. Uh Thank you for uh, capturing that for us. But after man has been justified through faith, then a true living faith works by love. Galatians 5, 6. Good works always follow justifying faith and are surely found with it. If it is true and living faith, James 2.26. Faith is never alone, but always has love and hope with it. 1 Corinthians 13.13. Thus far, our affirmative theses. Take it away, Layman Slayton. I know you want to talk about these good works. (laughs) So... What, there's there's a little interesting thing. Most of this is about the good works after justification, but there's a little interesting thing here where it talks about the contrition that comes before justification. And I want to highlight that a little bit because as humans seeing each other caught up in our sin, um, and maybe, maybe I'm seeing my brother in his sin, I like to see that he's really, really, really sorry before he's forgiven. And if I don't think that he's really sorry enough or if the the visible contrition you know the the contrition i'm able to see doesn't meet up to my standards then i'm going to question you know whether he's really sorry and therefore is he really forgiven is he really that you know and and this is what we do we we look at each other's outward show of contrition and determine whether or not they're justified and it's like hey hold on even that is separate from justification. You can't do that. There, there, there may be ways that we can talk about how, how do we before each other confess a faith in such a way that it's clearly visible for our, our fellow Christians and the world to see you know, this, this faithful confession of faith, which involves confessing our sin and that contrition. But to take that extra step of actually tying it and saying, I'm not sure you're really forgiven because you weren't really serious about that. That's, we can't do that. And then on the other side, notice how that happens on the other side too. This, this, I'm, I'm going to be forgiven. And how is it, how does it phrased here? Um, the wicked intention to sin and to act against the conscience that, oh, I'm going to be forgiven. This is great. But I'm just, I, I'm actually going to go back and do this again. I'm planning on it already. As I'm sitting here being forgiven, I'm going to, I know I'm going to go back and do this again. I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be great. No, that, we don't do that. But once again, that's also not part of justification. That, is, that isn't how we live. That isn't what the Christian life should look like. That's not God's will for how you live in his forgiveness. But that's separate from justification. Let's keep our lines clear and not muddle these 
waters up because as Dr. Kevin was saying earlier, when we do that, we're putting ourselves right back in the middle. In some way, we're trying to add something, take away something, influence something. It's We're trying to do something there to make it about us. The words that are ringing in my head as you were describing that is you have a fine way of making yourself into God. <laughs> I mean, like you, yeah. you have you have some idea in your mind of what you know contrition looks like, mm-hmm. right? And and I do this too, right? So this is why I, I can I can, but you know I, I I have in my mind what contrition is supposed to look like. Things that I I see going on in a person, and that's that's how they're really sorry for what they did. Mm. Well, who get who gets to define that? Not me, not Sean Smith, right? But that's what I'm doing, and we we all do it so naturally, as you so well laid out, right? Um, but but that doesn't belong to justification. Mm-hmm. No. Pastor Hill? no, <laughs> shaking his head at me. He, he's checked out. I don't want right. anything to do out. with this. <laughs> that's all very well said, um, and I have I have nothing substantial to add to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so Scripture then would say. Uh, with St. Paul, through St. Paul, right? That there is a, a place for the good works then, right? Even the contrition, right? Uh, we can certainly jump to John, First John, very clear on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how we, we should recognize our sin and come to Christ and so forth. But, uh, uh, you know, so, so take, take us away there. Well, Dr. Kevin. I think, again, it's, it's so simple, it's ridiculous, but we, we can't keep it simple. When it comes to your relationship to before God in a positive way, that is always and only because of Christ. And don't look at your works to justify that or to say, God loves me because I'm good or, or I'm a good Christian because I do X, Y, or Z. No, your relationship to God, your identity as a Christian is accomplished on the cross and given to you in God's word and sacrament. So it is by grace through faith because of what Christ has done, period. That's it. There's nothing else to talk about when it comes to justification. That's it. Now, how do I live? Right? So this article is saying, because justification is solely the work of God, how then does a sinner live? Because what we know from our lives is that even after I hear the word of forgiveness, I don't just stop sinning. It's not like, you know, You've heard the testimonies, right? Where, you know, back in the day I was a sinner, but then I met Jesus and I threw away all my sinful stuff. And now I'm living a perfect life. And we all say, <laughs> no, you're not. No, that's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad Christ came to you in his word and changed you and, and you've received salvation. But don't fool yourself into thinking now you're living a perfect life. But you have to become and a Lutheran so, still. Right, Once you exactly. become a Lutheran, then, you've got, then you've got it. So so we don't look at our lives and say, now my perfect my, my life is now something that God is going to count as merit or satisfaction. Nor do we say, well, it just doesn't matter how I live because it's all about Jesus. And he goes, well, that's weird because God created you to live. And he created you to live a certain way. So now that you have been saved from death to live, how does it look to live in life instead of death? And we actually have lots of descriptions of that. To live in life instead of death is to love to love the Lord your God and to love neighbor. How does that look? We have lots of descriptions of that. We have 10 commandments that reveal to us the the will of God for us as we live in this world. And so what this is saying is that by our, our extreme focus on making sure it's very clear that justification is by Christ alone, by God, by grace through faith because of Christ, 
we are not saying then that we're against good works, right? We're not saying that those who were justified should not do good works. No, we're saying this is the result in my life is that I will now learn to live according to the will of God because I've been justi- justified without any merits on my own. So it, we're always kind of in danger of falling on one or the other. We're going to say, oh, it's, I'm playing a part in this. Or we're saying, great, it's all God, so I can do whatever I want. And, and the, the weird thing is both of those are actually the law, right? Both of those are actually just as, different aspects of the law coming to you and saying, no, you're simply revealing yourself again to be a sinner. And this article helps us say that the results of faith is living a holy and decent life. Right? The result of, of being saved from sin is that you live in righteousness. But living in righteousness is not the measure of your salvation. It's Christ's righteousness that has measured your salvation. The, the irony, if I'm using irony properly in this context, I'm, I'm not sure, of, of all of this is that when, when you believe in this way, when you view it in this way, and you separate works from justification so clearly, you actually end up with more good works, not less. And, and a lot more. Now, I don't necessarily see my own good works. That's not the point that I can see them and point them out. No fruit checking as Pastor Ellis yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not the point. But but the reality is, because Scripture says this, there's there's actually going to be more good works. Those ones that have been prepared beforehand, that God prepared for you to do, they're going to get done. And this is the way in which they get done, not by tying your good works and everything else that we tend to tie back into justification. No, that, that actually kills them. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess despite my excellent timing at the beginning of the show with the music, my, my hosting duties have failed here because what I've like been trying to draw out here is this word <laughs> sanctification, but like none of you would say it. I, I don't know what the deal is. Like, what do I got to get you to do? But, but, but this is the relationship. We're go with new obedience. <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is the relationship that, uh, that Dr. Kevin especially was, was, uh, um, talking about there, right, is is the relationship between justification and sanctification, which there's a lot to be said about that. But our main focus here, right, is that issue of justification. How am I standing before God on the day of judgment? And that's it for our segment on uh, Pastor Sean's gross oversimplifications. <laughs> I want to thank my cohort of Christ today. Confessing Concordians today, Layman Peter Slayton, Dr. Kevin Armbrust, Pastor Peter Ill, and... Thank you for uh, tuning in today. If you would like to leave a question or comment for us to address the next time we convene for Concord, please uh, leave a message at 314-996-1542. Email us at kfuo at kfuo.org or find us on social media at kfuo radio. Thanks for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.